Amen. Well, I just want to start with a story. I won't tell you where, who, or what, or when, but one of my best friends, so that sort of narrows it down. Um, I was, uh, he called me this week. He said, Chad, I have to tell you something. I'm, I'm dying to tell you. And so my friend, who's a pastor somewhere, not in California, called me and he's like, Chad, you'll never believe what happened. This is unbelievable. I mean, verifiable. One of my best, closest friends talked to every week. He said, I, I was in the middle of our prayer meeting on a Wednesday night, and this, this Muslim guy who was in his upper 50s, 58 years old, came right into our prayer meeting while I was teaching, and he interrupted my teaching. And he said, you, I need to talk to you. He found him, my friend, I need to talk to you. And so my friends stopped teaching. That doesn't happen every prayer meeting. For those of you who are new to church, that doesn't happen every prayer meeting. Uh, and this, this, this Muslim gentleman called him back and, and uh, he said, listen, I got my friend's key leader said, you need to trust me. Stop what you're doing. Come back and talk to the guy. And so this, this 58-year-old Muslim gentleman said, I have had three nights in a row where Yeshua Hamashiach has appeared to me and Muhammad has bowed to him three consecutive nights. I, listen, whew, I saw your building like a drone, like a drone picture. I saw your building and you, God told me you're his servant and I need to talk to you. And uh, uh, my friend, they're, they're a house of prayer. They pray morning, noon, and night. They're just so devoted to Jesus. But they, he's, my friend, one of my best friends said, I've never, I've never even, I've heard about it. I've read about it. I've read about it. I've heard testimonies about it. But this one hit really close, really close to home. And he just said that he was able to see the wounds on Yeshua's body. And he saw Muhammad, like I said, for three nights in a row. <laughs> he, had, he had no, no knowledge of the New Testament, no knowledge of substitutionary atonement, that his wounds would mean anything apart from Jesus revealing it to him. And, uh, and so basically what was amazing was my really, really good friend, I'm keeping it quiet because he wants it quiet, the, the, it, obviously multiple reasons why, but um, he basically helped lead my pastor friend to lead him to Jesus. <laughs> Let me tell you, it's a good day for evangelism when the ones who are lost encounter the one who can save them and then leads the church, the pastor, to lead them to accept him. And, and so I want you to know God's moving. We are in dark, difficult days in our nation, but there are pockets of just rampant revival all over the earth. And I, I want to get caught up in that storyline. I don't know about you. And, and here's what's so awesome, and I, and I told this to Katie this week, um, why it was really, really cool. I mean, that's a really cool story. I'm really close to the guy. I mean, it, it deeply ministered to me when he's telling me this testimony from Wednesday night last week. But what's so cool is the last two weeks, and God didn't have to do it this way. And I'm not, just, let me just tell, 
These last two weeks, I have been specifically praying for Arabs and Muslims and Jews to come to Jesus. So what made it so cool, I'm not like a Middle Eastern 1040 window. I love those people. I've been reading a lot about it. But I'm I'm like a grafted into that whole intercessory storyline for decades and really, you know, 50, 100 years. But it's so cool that I just barely stepped over the line to start making it a regular prayer of my prayer time. Lord, release revelation of Jesus to the Jews, to the Arabs, to Muslims. And just when I'm starting that baby intercessory assignment, I mean, hardly, we get this testimony of my friend who's never seen anything like it. In all of his life of ministry, I saw your building three nights in a row like an aerial drone, and I saw you. God told me you're his servant. And my friend was so marked by that part of this encounter because it wasn't you're the pastor, you're the anointed guy, that in God's kingdom, it's not about our titles or about our pedigree. It's that we're servants of the Lord. All of us are just his servants. And, and uh, so I just thought I'd share that story with you. And... Um, So good. And the reason we tell those stories is because we're we're, we're supposed to be dreamers. We serve the God who raises the dead. And when we get stuck in the the echo chamber of culture and the the pandering and the fear-mongering and all those narratives that you try to stay informed with what's happening, you lose your faith. Your heart gets heavy. Your spirit and your soul get agitated. You and I are meant to live above the chaos, not ignorant of it, but with God's kingdom storyline and perspective. Amen. We're meant to be able to sleep through storms so that when we're done resting in his presence, we can speak a word and it stops. Man. And uh, Paula told me the other day, before she did uh, the, the announcements last week, she said, Pastor Chad, I'm not, I don't think I'm calling her on the spot, but she's like, God's been giving me dreams and, and, and vision. And I, I, I've been reading a lot in the book of Acts and various places. How many believe God is the dream giver? And in these last days, I'm telling you, begin to expect to him to speak to you as he pours out his spirit. It wasn't, Joel 2 wasn't fully fulfilled at Pentecost. Give me a break. All flesh, all of your sons and daughters, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of prophecy, that knowing of what's in the heart and mind of God and the ability to release it with anointing and with authority and with power. And that young will see visions, old will dream dreams. How many want to be a part of the unfolding of this epic storyline that is being written in our day? So right now, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would release dreams and visions. We ask God for the spirit of prophecy, that ability to know who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do at the end of the age. That's the spirit of prophecy. That revelation and the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding of what is the, uh, the outworking of the heart and mind and will and purpose of the Lord. Lord, I pray that spirit to baptize us this morning. I ask, God, that you'd begin to loose dreams and visions, that, Lord, you'd begin to awaken us, that we would understand what the psalmist says, that even at night you're instructing my heart through your law. Father, I'm asking that you would just begin to clear out space over our homes, that we would say yes to that peculiar priestly calling to live in all of life as worship unto Jesus lifestyle. 
that, Lord, it wouldn't be hard for you to break through the chaos of our heart or our mind because we're just prepared and ready. We're leaning in and listening to what the Spirit is saying to the church in this hour. And Father, I thank you that 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2 is for today. Today is the day of salvation. It's it's the day of salvation in places like Iran. It's it's the day of salvation in places like North Korea and Russia and China. It's the day of salvation for America, for Latin America. It's the day of salvation. And I'm praying, God, that that you would pour out that grace, verse 2, that would lead many in this hour to repentance and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would just mark us as those who would become those participants and those messengers for this epic hour. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. The title, okay, we could go home right now. I'm very aware. But I think God's going to help somebody today. The title of the talk is called, Is He Worthy and Is It Worth It? Is He Worthy and Is It Worth It? Um, Psalm 73 went, went ahead and grabbed a hold of my heart this week. We're going to be living there. Um, and not a lot of flips, just Psalm 73. I will read it and make a few comments along the way. And, and I'm so thankful for Psalm 73 because it's where most of us live, if we're honest. If you read in your Bible, it's a Psalm of Asaph. Everybody say Asaph. Who was Asaph? Asaph was one of the key Levitical priests who helped bring the Ark of God's Covenant of His presence, otherwise known as His throne, on the earth. Asaph was one of those who helped bring the Ark that was in hiatus and hiding for a hundred years. Under the instruction of King David, he he helped. He was part of that second procession. First one didn't go very well. He brought it and, and set it under the tent that David prepared for it in Zion. Asaph was one of the main prophetic worship leaders in David's tent. He was one of the main overseers of all of the activity of day and night worship and prophetic word and and prayer at the center of God's, uh, the kingdom of David. He prophesied, 1 Chronicles 25, under the king's supervision. He was a father of musicians for generations and generations in the house of God, and he composed Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 through 83. So he's not a bad guy. Turn to someone next to you and say, Asaph was not a bad guy. He's a pretty good guy, pretty significant character. <laughs> so that's Asaph. I just, I'm underscoring to say that this, what Asaph, if there's anyone that you would think would get a pass from what we might call the ordinary struggle of everyday Christians, you would think it'd be a guy like Asaph. That's why I'm glad he wrote this one. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure or fully devoted in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I'd nearly lost my foothold. And in this moment of complete honesty, Asaph, that I just described his brief credentials... Say, I almost lost it. I almost lost my bearings. I almost slipped. I almost fell. Really? He confesses in a moment of weakness, 
even though he knows that God is good, we just sang about it, his heart is pure, he's fully devoted, he's not going anywhere, but he's like, God, if I'm honest, I almost slipped. I almost fell. Verse 3 tells us what caused him to almost stumble and fall in light of his unbelievable privileged position in the storyline of God and the people of God. For I envied, verse 3, the arrogant, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And so here's this amazing picture. Asaph spends his whole, I don't know, his whole adult life and then generations after him in this tent that had only one room with the ark, no veil of separation, prophesying, declaring the truth that would become psalms and scriptures, singing, and he was a father to musicians. So imagine having to train musicians. That's a rough job. His whole life, he's, he has access, unlike the priests and under Moses' tabernacle, right into the presence of God. He's prophesying with King David right beside him and over him. And so imagine being in that environment, day and night, morning, noon, and night. And then when you're not doing it, you're training other priests to be able to do it. So it's just, this is your whole life. Our job under the king's supervision is to minister to the Lord, to declare his word, his truth, and his promises day and at night, day and night. And this guy almost stumbles and falls. And why does he almost stumble and fall? He came out of his assignment and he started looking around. And he started going in verse, look at this, verse four and five. When he looked at the arrogant and the wicked, he saw they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from all the common human burdens and they are not plagued by human ills. And Asaph, the great priestly prophetic royal musician, when he's out of his assignment and he starts looking around, how are those who aren't devoted to God doing? And he just gets the, the whiff of, it seems like their life is great. Come on, that's why I love Psalm 73. It applies to every person in this room. All of you have thought it. Why do I have the, 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 the devotion to holiness? Why not just sow my role? Why am I, is, it, is he worthy and is it worth it? That's the title of the talk. And so he's out of the tent, he's looking around, man, all these people who aren't devoted to this crazy lifestyle seem to be doing great. And their appearance looks amazing. They're flourishing, no burdens, no difficulty. Come on, somebody. Verse 6, therefore, pride is their necklace. Okay, when pride's your necklace, it's a problem. They clothe themselves with violence. Their hearts are calloused from iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak malice with arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven. Think back to Babel in Genesis 11. And their tongues take possession of the earth. They're influential. They have power and authority. Therefore, their people turn to them and they drink up their waters in abundance. Can anyone say, hello, current cultural commentary, influence, just drinking like they're oppressive, they throw off God's restraint, they're flourishing, and everyone's drinking from that well. Because they're influential, they're beautiful, they have power, they possess stuff, and, and they got there not by good means, it says by oppression and violence. So obviously they're crushing others to get to their place of flourishing and prosperity, pride and arrogance, oppression, violence, boasting, parading their lifestyle. They're, 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 they're not even trying to hide it any longer. They're parading. They're laying claim to heaven, and through their words, they think they're taking possession of the earth. Are you tracking with me? 
It's the Bible. And Asaph, the priest that was marked for God and his kingdom purposes in Israel, because he gets out of his assignment, he starts looking around, his, he says, I almost slipped. Because how many believe that that water from that cultural well is appealing to the, eye of, to the eyes and to the flesh? Can we just talk and be honest? Man, it'd be great to have two houses, three houses, seven cars. It'd be sweet to have influence and power and prestige and to have a photo op every time you leave your house. You get what I'm saying? It's easy. Or let's make it a little more practical. It doesn't have to just be the big-time influencers. It's your, the family down the street. It's your colleague at work. Why am I saying yes to holiness? Why am I saying yes to walking in God's wisdom and counsel? Why do I hold to a historic view of God and sexuality? And why do, why do I care? Why is it even worth it when everyone seems to be just doing fine around me? That's the great Asaph's wrestle. And not only are they rampant in their outright rebellion, they're drawing others after themselves. Look at that, verse 10. Others are drinking up the, the water that they're drinking from. Oh, and it gets worse. Look at this. He climbs even higher in their rebellion. Verse 11. How? They, they say, how would God know? Does the Most High even know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They're always free of care, and they just go on amassing wealth. Selah. Pause. Has anyone been there with Brother Asaph? the great priest. Is it like, why? They get all the fun. Is he worthy and is it worth it? All of us are going to ask that question, not just once in our lifetime. <laughs> but the, 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 the epic proportion of the rebellion of the wicked is when you start belittling the fame and glory and sufficiency and supremacy of God, he doesn't let that attitude go unchecked forever. Does God see? Does he even hear? We are the ones in charge. We have evolved enough that we don't need to live in reverence of and with reference to God. Can anyone say, we're living in those days? I mean, this is the day we're living in. Verse 13, he ends his deep confession. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed my children. And the picture could not be more clear. You have to remember, Asaph is not unfounded in his wrestle. Did not God promise flourishing and prosperity for the righteous? Just go read Deuteronomy 29 through 30. So he's like, if I'm pure, but I, my life is hard, I've faced punishment, tribulation, difficulty. I have this, King David gave me this crazy assignment to stand in a tent in the presence of Yahweh and to sing and declare His infinite beauty and His worth and to make known among the nations what God has done for His people Israel. And because He's done it for them, His select, elect, He wants to do in the few for the sake of the many. And Asaph's like, I don't get it. I thought you said that to be wicked, if you read the amount of curses, the ratio of curses to blessing, it's like two or three to one. 
So he's having an honest moment with the one, he's the, thro- the, the ark that he stares at morning, noon, and night. Aren't you thankful that we can be honest with God? Surely in vain. Is he worthy and is it worth it? All of us have had these questions on multiple occasions. Verse 16 He lets us in on his deep thought life. When I tried to understand all of this, what does it say? It troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Say that with me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Of God. Proximity to God's presence changes our priorities and our perspectives. And if you watch, his inner dialogue shifts when he gets back into his assignment in close proximity to the Lord. And I'm troubled, beloved. If you and I don't adopt that posture until I got back into the sanctuary of God, your soul will become so atrophied and malnourished because of everything that's being served in culture that we won't have anything substantive to bring to the table as it pertains to that which is life-giving, redemptive, and transforming in nature. ASAPs, like, I tried to understand this. This is the age-old question. Why do the righteous suffer and perish? Why do unrighteous? Every person on the planet since forever has asked those questions. And unless you and I don't try to discuss those realities apart from God, we bring our inner dialogue, we bring our, is he worth it? Is he worthy to him? And we sit until he begins to speak to us. Listen to me, until he begins to change, I just read about Charles Finney, the great first great awakening revivalist. He said every time he'd feel the fire of God lift from his life, he'd go into the woods until it came again. You and I are so used, I am so used to living outside of the reality of God's manifest presence. I just call it normal Christianity. It's just a season. Beloved, I know there are seasons. I know there's times of coldness and callous and whatever, but you and I don't have to be a victim to the season. We can get back into the sanctuary of God. Oh, you don't understand. I know it's just a season. Okay, it's just a season, but he, it, it's just rain or shine. The, the glory of God is, is readily available to us if we'll go and sit and be. He tried to discern. He, he, listen, and here's what's so troubling about our day. Everyone is trying to discern us and them, the, the, the problems, the ailments. But apart from the presence and proximity to the presence of God, you and I will not have con- anything that's worth contributing in our cultural mess without first being close to the presence of God, that his word and his counsel and his wisdom and his ways begin to be manifest on the inside of us, that then by his grace, they begin to shape our lives with that Titus 2 peculiarity. And then when we speak out of a life ravished by what we see in the sanctuary, it'll have authority, it'll have winsomeness, and it will have weight behind it. 
I didn't understand these things. Verse 1 and 2, I almost slipped, God. Until I entered the sanctuary. You and I are not made to discern the unbelievable complexities of culture apart from the presence of God permeating the whole process of dialogue. We're not meant to try to find a perspective for my workplace, for my relationships, for my finances. I'm not meant to just figure that out on my own. There's a place in his sanctuary with your name on it, and he's always serving wisdom, insight, understanding, and revelation if we'll draw near to receive it. It's who he is. He is the incarnate Word, all that God thinks, all that he says, all that he feels, all that he wants was wrapped up in the man Christ Jesus. And you and I have access to that throne by grace because of the torn, rent body of Jesus. We can sit there as long as necessary until we know what he knows and feel what he feels and think how he thinks so we can live how he's shown us to live. And he said, I didn't understand any of these things until I went back to my post. Until I got back in the sanctuary of God. He realized in the presence of God and only in the presence of God, his perspective began to be changed. And believers, if there's anything you and I have to offer the, the world in this moment, it's the presence of God and the purpose and perspective of God. In any field, in any workplace, in any situation or scenario, the presence of God, the purpose and perspective of God. Do you understand how that applies to your life? Think about your life. I'm retired. Okay, we'll apply it to your life. Okay, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Okay, God's presence, God's priorities, God's perspective, and God's purpose. I can bring that by the grace of God everywhere I go. Verse 18, when he's finally, when he's like, okay, I couldn't get it. I got back into the presence. And all of a sudden, things started becoming clear. How many believe that in these days of great cloudiness and chaos, clarity is the clarion call of the hour for the church to walk in? Clarity. Surely you placed it. Listen, listen to his language. He shifts the narrative. He was the one on slippery ground in verse 1 and 2. Now, verse 18. Come on, guys. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to illustrate. All of us have been here, but far too many of us stay here because we never get back in the sanctuary. Many of our lives are just slippery and slopey. We're not meant to build on a slippery slope, but on the rock that is Jesus, the unshakable foundation. And so it's okay to bring all that confusion, but bring it to the Lord and let him change your perspective. My life is falling. I get it. But get into the presence of God. Let him change your life. Change your story. Change your perspective. And then he says, verse 18, they switch roles. You place them on slippery ground and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by, by terrors. They are just like a dream. When one awakens, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Their lives are a house of cards built on sand on the edge of a raging sea with the tide that's about to come in. I wrote that part. 
They looked impenetrable. They looked unshakable. They looked like everything was going. They had the tin. They had the bank account. They had the influence, the authority. They had the paparazzi. They had everything. I almost lost bearings. Is it even worth following you? Are you worthy? And is it worth it? Get into the sanctuary. Oh, my goodness. Then you begin to show me everything they're building their lives on in one whiff of the change of the tides. Their whole house comes crashing down. Oh. Skip all of that. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, verse 22, I was senseless and ignorant like a wild beast before you. And friends, this is, we can't afford to be here. Guys, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Come to him as you are. Hear me. Come as you are. And all your sin, your brokenness, your baggage, whatever. But he doesn't leave you in that place. He wants to transform your life by his grace. And as you're transformed, listen, you and I cannot afford, because of the grieved and bitterness of our soul, because of what didn't happen or did happen in culture, you and I, we don't discern well when that is going on on the inside of us. Look at it. When I was grieved and embittered of spirit, I was like a beast before you. I was senseless. I want you to know the church in this hour cannot afford to act like a beast. We can't be senseless. I know cultures change and changing and we cry out for revival, but you and I, we can't lose hope and lose heart in this hour. When you're grieved like that, you can't stand up and speak his word. Bring your bitterness and your hurt and your pain. Let his love and the oil of joy, Hebrews 1, wash over you. Joy is not dependent on who wins or the circumstance. Joy is who you're connected to in the grace of God. It's the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. It's Him. And that doesn't mean we're ignorant or we're not saddened by the reality of our kids or grandkids. But you and I, we can't stay in this place that Asaph, he dabbled in, but he got out of. Are you tracking with me? Because when I was light, that I was like a beast. And the last I checked, Adam and Eve named the beast. They didn't act like beasts. They had authority to name them. And when you and I are in that space and place, we need a friend to look at us in the eye and say, okay, enough's enough. You're not a beast. You're an image bearer. Get in the sanctuary. Let him baptize your heart, mind, and life with a fresh dose of the, the Spirit. I was going to say Holy Ghost, but you know. When I lacked perspective and I wasn't thinking by the Spirit, I was senseless and ignorant. How many know we are at our worst when we're senseless and ignorant as believers? Why? Because we have the Spirit of God inside of us. That's not our inheritance to be senseless, ignorant, just grieved, bitter-spirited beasts. And Asaph said, when I was like that, I wasn't, like, I wasn't living out of my identity Grief and bitterness are not the soil from which good discernment grows. So here's what I want to say to you. If you're grieving in spirit or embittered, you feel like you've been a beast. Bring these realities to the Lord. Acknowledge them. Confess them. And sit with him until he begins to transform your inner dialogue. And when that dialogue gets aligned, not with your circumstances or your perceptions or your opinions or your agenda, as his truth, oh, I just see like the, 
cracking of the back. He'll align you and then he'll infuse you with his presence so you can sign up again for his eternal perspective and purpose for your generation and the generations that are coming. How many need that, that Holy Spirit chiropractor work? I was a beast. I wasn't an image bearer. I was like a beast. I lost my marbles like Nebuchadnezzar. I love that God, in none of these passages, does he step in and say, Asaph, too much. Just act spiritual, cover up all your pain. Asaph, are you really having that kind of inner dialogue that I'm worth it and it's, I'm worthy and that righteousness is a good choice? Shame on you. No. How many are thankful for Psalm 73? Bring it to the Lord. Sit however long you need to sit until he begins to change the dialogue. Doesn't matter how long it is, days, weeks, months. How worth it is it to not live as a wild beast, but to be a son or daughter clothed with power from on high, burning with the eternal perspectives and purposes of the Lamb who's on his throne? Verse 23, we're almost done. Yet I'm always, I love this. He, so he's like, I was a beast. When I was thinking like that, I was, I was out of it. Has anyone been there? Can we just maybe all raise our hands? Undiscerning, beastly, grieving. Yet, verse 23, goodness, I'm always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Say it with me. You are with me. You hold me. You guide me. And I've got glory coming. Look at that fourfold promise that he lands the plane. And then he just he goes through the stratosphere here. Whom have I in heaven but you? The earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And finally, the great psalmist, the great prophet, the great worship leader, the great top leader in all of Israel, he comes back home. The earth has nothing I desire besides you. You are the one, nothing else no one else, and there's nowhere else I'd rather be than right here in your sanctuary. I'll stay. I'll man my post. I'll waste my life by being faithful to David's desire to provide a dwelling for you. You're worthy, and you are worth it. That's, what, that's how he ends. Those who are far from you Verse 27, will perish, and you destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But read verse 28 with me. Even with you have different uh, translation, it's okay. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds or works. Can we just say amen to the word of the Lord? Is he worthy? Is he worthy, and is it Worth it. Asaph seems to think he, yes, see all the above. 
And I want you to know that Malachi chapter 3 talks about a day that's coming, and it's coming, beloved. I feel like that dream of the month, it's coming. The end is coming. He is coming. The nations, come on, he's coming. I mean, I, he's coming. I mean, I, Jesus is returning. Um, and it's not, I know it's like, do I clap? I'm a little scared. Am I ready? Is there, are they ready? Okay, so it's true regardless of how we're feeling about it. And when that day comes, he's coming to judge the earth. And, and here's the promise of Malachi 3. Because maybe you're still like, I don't know if he's worthy, and I don't know if it's worth it. Well, praise God, bring it to the Lord in the sanctuary. Talk to him about it. I'm being totally serious. Talk to him about it. You think you're the first one who's ever discerned that question? No, he's probably had that conversation with billions of people. <laughs> he's really good at that conversation. Well, let me show you the beauty of my son. Let me show you the wounds of his love. Let me show you the sufficiency and supremacy of his name. Let me show you a king that instead of pillaging and oppressing and taking, he gave his life. Let me, I mean, he just points us to his son and it melts and arrests our hearts very quickly in that messiness of chaos and cloudiness and bitterness and resentment and hurt. And when I'm looking at influencers, is it worth it? One glimpse of him an army rises up and, and are given over to, to his purposes and plans. And I just want you to know, a, a day is coming when he will come with fire. And it's, a, it's an element we'll probably talk about later, but Malachi 3 verse 18 says that there is coming a day when you will see with your eyes the distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. You and I may be, probably will be, despised, rejected, whatever. I'm not, don't play the victim card, please. It's unattractive. For all of us, I can play it. I'm not playing that card. I'm just saying this is probably true, very true, according to the word. But there's coming a day when you and I, even if no one ever acknowledges it in this age, there is one who is coming who will acknowledge it. And will bring justice and judgment and fire to reveal what our lives were really built on after all. Amen. And that's sobering, but also if you ask any of our global brothers and sisters who've suffered for the name, they would say this is a part of the good news. In fact, as I've studied the gospel this week, like every time they'd preach the gospel, I don't know why, I'm not afraid of this part of the gospel. I love this part of the gospel, but... It always ends with the good news, forgiveness, mercy. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. Praise God. He fulfilled his purpose by you killing him. But then he's like, and he's, by raising him, he appointed him to be the judge of the earth. And all of their gospel presentations, it was part of the good news that one is coming who will stop the works of darkness in their tracks. Babylon will fall in a day and he'll establish his everlasting kingdom. This is the good news. And so this is why, in closing, done we got to live in the sanctuary. That house of prayer, the presence. It, I love, it's more, I, I, my dad would disown me. Maybe he wouldn't. I'm old enough now. It doesn't get better than verse 28. It's good to be near God. <laughs> right? I almost fell. I almost slipped. Purity of heart, devotion to the one thing, that being a priest, writing songs, prophesying, declaring, living with covenant peculiarity and fidelity righteousness and justice and being true to you and even when I don't feel like it is it worth it verse 28 it's just good to be near you I'm so happy 
that you're big enough that I looked at them. They looked unshakable until I got in your presence and you showed me the true reality as it's seen from your perspective. And friends, this is the perspective Jesus Christ is inviting his church into in this hour. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Respond, sign up, and say, you are worthy and you are worth it. Stand up on your feet with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word, the unchangeable, unshakable reality of your word and your promise. I just want to spend 30 seconds, just come before the Lord, like Asaph, wherever you're at, come before him right now this morning. Bring your reality to him. He already knows it, but confess it, acknowledge it. And just invite the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, transform my perspective. And my perspective flows from my identity. So transform my heart, my mind, and my life through the grace of your son, Jesus. Show me, remind me who I am in the grace of Jesus. Show me your plans. Show me your purposes in this hour. I don't want to be weighed down. I don't want to be bitter and grieving in spirit. I want to walk in the spirit of your truth. I want to walk with your perspective. I want to be filled with your presence. I want to give myself to the purpose in your heart for this hour. No matter what it costs, you are worthy and you are worth it. Just tell them this morning, you are worthy and you are worth it. One glimpse at the links that you took to rescue and redeem my life when I look at your son and then I keep my eyes on your son I can say you are worthy and you are worth it. So Father, right now I pray for this great host of people in this room and online that we would sign up once again. We would say yes to Jesus, yes to his invitation to be his sons and his daughters, his friends that know his heart, who are filled with his presence and who give themselves to the purposes of his heart for this generation, for the ages to come. Right now, Lord, I come in the name of Jesus and ask that you would heal every spirit that's been embittered and that's been full of grief. We've been in that place of, of ignorance, like he says, like beast. We've just been wrecked by our emotions. Father, just even lift your hand if that's you. Lord, I pray you would heal our emotional place in, in places those places that have been embittered, that have been grieved because of the delay or the discrepancy of what you hoped and what happened in your family, your marriage, your finances, your physical body, the person you pray, whatever it is, Lord, I pray loose healing in the inner man or the inner woman of our church and the church in this hour. I pray you'd bring us back to our senses, that we would catch a vision of your goodness and glory. And we'd be able to say, not out of just some empty confession, we'd be able to say you are worthy and you are worth it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we all said amen, amen. and amen. I love you guys. Have an awesome week. We'll see you. If you need prayer, come on up. Prayer, encouragement, healing. Please don't be shy.